0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello world, and welcome to The Upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Joining me now for The Upcoming's ninth episode, straight out of Austin, Texas, she is a rising senior at Texas McComb School of Business, she is an independent reseller with uh, Depop, and an account representative intern with Uber. She is well-versed in the field of marketing, finance, and sales, and she has so much to share with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing... Jessica Lee. How's it going, Jessica?
1: Hi there, Jonathan. I'm really excited to be here. Going
0: well. All right. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, one thing, Jessica, that I love to ask my fans and my listeners, mainly my listeners, or I'm sorry, my guests. I am all over the place. One thing I love to ask my guests is to introduce themselves in a way. So, Jessica, for the people who don't know, in your own words, who and what exactly are you?
1: Yeah, I love that question. And I will keep it to as short as I can. My name is Jessica, and I think you did wonderful in summarizing who I am. But outside of my professional career, I'm someone who enjoys paddleboarding, hiking, nature. And I love taking that energy and putting it into whatever I do, whether that's selling, marketing, or just speaking to new people on a day-to-day basis, I found myself where I am essentially from my upbringing. I was born in Hong Kong and raised in Beijing, then moved to the States in eighth grade. So it's been a little bit of a slight nomad lifestyle, I would say, and that's who I am.
0: Wow, I love it! Straight from Hong Kong all the way to Austin, Texas. It's quite a journey. Yes. <laughs> all right. So now on to uh, just a little give us an idea. So, Jessica, for the people who don't know, also, when did you become interested in business, specifically the field of marketing and uh, finance?
1: Right, right. So let me take it back a little bit. A couple, not a couple decades, but a decade ago when I was in Beijing, my younger brother and I would find ourselves weekly opening our neighborhood storefronts for our neighbors to just come in, whether that's erasers pencils scarves those are our treasures our wares and i found immense joy essentially in selling them to my neighbors and whether or not they actually liked what they were buying i thought it was exciting right for a six to seven year old to be selling my treasures was very fun and as i continued growing i found myself really intrigued by online reselling especially clothing. And that's what I do sell on Depop right now. That's vintage clothing, clothes that I personally have sourced or perhaps have grown out of. But because I realized selling was essentially where I found the most passion in and getting to grow my customer, I guess, business relations. That's when I really found myself just passionate about business and honestly it led me to well if i'm being candid right when i was applying to college no idea what i wanted to do (laughs) and i think most people are on the same boat as me and some people may may recommend yeah go into business do that and that's how you find what you like to do because this field is so broad it honestly just whatever you are passionate about a business degree can take you there I mean, so to, to a certain degree, right? But it can take you to that certain industry. So the reason why I did end up choosing marketing is because I have experience in selling. I have experience in building my brand. But also because, tr- to be honest, I didn't know what I wanted to do.
0: didn't know what you wanted to do, huh?
1: No, I didn't. But I do now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yes, you do. Yes, you do, Jessica. So... Now, on to the real questions. So, this is, this was just the basics. Now, we're really going to have you uh, pausing and thinking about these questions, Jessica. These are my favorite. So, okay. when it comes to business, we both know there are hard skills and soft skills, With soft, with soft skills being, in my opinion, even more essential than hard ones. So, when you look at it, Jessica what are the three soft skills that you believe brought the most efficiency to you and those you worked with?
1: Yes. Great question. I, I definitely believe the largest and most important skill, soft skill is to be open-minded. I cannot see a flaw in generally being open-minded and wanting to, experience new things but also being open and accepting of new opportunities new challenges but a second thing that i also found very important is i guess it also correlates to being open-minded but that's genuinely to just be kind and respectful everyone in your life may want to participate and want to give advice for certain aspects. And sometimes it may be a hard pill to swallow and sometimes it may be honestly, you know, forgive my language, dumb advice, but advice is advice. So being kind and respectful and accepting of what someone wants to say and how they want to help contribute is very important. And running a business, being in a field, no matter where you are, working solo You know, offer it. Go go for solo people, but ultimately, being able to collaborate with and work with others and accept their input is what takes leaders to the next level. Which also brings me to the third point, which is essentially just being yourself. It's never a good time, and it's never going to be easy if you're pretending to be someone you're not and having that skill set of just accepting yourself for who you are taking your skills whether that's soft or hard skills at face value and then improving from there on
0: wow being yourself you know people make songs about just telling you to be yourself so
1: yes exactly it's so it's a little cringy to say but hey be yourself be you love who you are (laughs)
0: Yeah, hear that, folks? Be you. Stop trying to be other people. We can see right through it. Exactly. Yes. So, now then, let's go on to a marketing question. So, you know, I was reading... Let me go say this. I was reading the most interesting book by this guy named... uh, I think his name was Mark Schaefer. It was called uh, Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins. Recommend that for all you listening. And it talked about, like, how... You know traditional advertising, like you know ads and commercials and you know posts, aren't doing it anymore. People want to like really see that this that a company has like value and that they're reaching out and you know have a noble like justifiable cost to everything. That's how companies can get more people at or just like have the best service or the best of their competitive advantages or whatever to market. So that brings me to this question. So. In our time of social media advertising, particularly like, let's say, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, when looking at that and this book, traditional advertising like flyers and word of mouth might seem easy or even for some people, necessary to overlook. But um, as a marketer, Jessica, and as someone who's done business, is social media relied on too much? Like, is technology relied on a little too much, or is it okay to... Move on the platform such as that, and like look less on traditional advertising.
1: Right, I actually have thought about this myself quite a bit too, especially with the huge boom in TikTok. And my my honest answer to you is, I I genuinely believe that traditional advertising, traditional word of mouth, flyers, door to door, will always be appreciated, no matter what you are selling, where you're selling to. But when we're looking at whether or not technology has been, you know, way oversaturated, it does, to a certain extent, lose that human aspect. And I think companies are catching on, especially, I don't know if you've seen like the Duolingo, TikTok, or many platforms now are more open towards commenting like it's a real person um, running this corporate account. but because companies are realizing that this human aspect is what's essentially driving business and driving their reliability, their knowability. I wouldn't necessarily say it's becoming oversaturated just because the tide is flipping and you know it's kind of coming back, it's switching around. But at the same time, when you look at traditional advertising and seeing who and who isn't on a social media platform. I really do think it's leveraging between perhaps an older and more traditional generation versus the newer generation, whether that's, let's say, a parent and their child, you know, the two completely forms of advertising to different people, marketing your product to maybe someone who's traditionally used to seeing the door-to-door flyers versus someone who's only ever known social media platform marketing. And I, I really do believe it's very separate in a way but still leveraged where it needs to be an appropriate balance so when you ask me right like should we turn back or should we turn around and stop the social media and just kind of limit that I honestly wouldn't say we should just because it can be like I said appreciated and it can be leverage to a way where both forms are of marketing and advertising can be beneficial to the different markets
0: interesting 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 so you ultimately believe that there'll always be room for you know posting up flyers and like putting up um, bulletin boards and and billboards and you know just telling people like hey you know this is happening here and there like that's never truly going to go away
1: Yes, I definitely think so. I don't I don't see at least from my personal, I guess scope of influence, I don't see the most the more traditional methods ever dying out.
0: Yeah, but that really but you can't help but just be fascinated by, you know, the rise in like let's say TikTok cuz look at just the boom it's created. Now, I've seen that the White House was enlisting tiktok influencers to help educate people about you know the war in ukraine and like the rise in like oil and like gas prices because i saw just what an impact these influencers had on on the public particularly in like let's say gen z and uh, whatever it's just gen z and like millennials so it was really just went to show like how powerful social media can truly be and it's and in such, frankly, such a short amount of time, it's honestly just kind of baffling, isn't it?
1: It's very baffling. And honestly, it is something so unknown, right? Like, it's it's just something that's so new and so brand brand new, honestly, that no one in the entire world has ever experienced or I don't think anticipated that TikTok would grow this fast. But, you know, honestly, I think it still is the same conversation between what t- audience you're trying to reach, like with the White House wanting to reach for the younger generations or those who are specifically on TikTok, those are people who most likely will not be looking at your flyers, looking at the bulletin, the bulletin boards, but there are still, you can still appreciate that there are still those select few who will go and look at those flyers, and I don't, I wouldn't say, uh, I guess the best way for me to put it is yes, we should focus on both sides, but we should also look at what's growing the fastest and what audience you want to target right i don't i don't want to sound like a broken record but if we're looking at the tiktok audience right it typically for the past few years has been the younger audience maybe in the tw- like 25s or younger, but as it keeps growing, as it is continuing to boom all across the world, older ages and more variety of people are joining, and I I do, I can definitely see where your sentiment is coming from, especially in how baffling and just to admire this rate of speed of growth.
0: Yeah, seriously. Seriously. So, I mean, I don't even think Facebook made it as big of a boom as as quickly as TikTok but um
1: amazing.
0: Yeah. It's honestly amazing. But um let's uh let's go ahead and move on here real quick. So, I know while you've been, you know, studying business and studying marketing and financing that you know, you've gotten to like take a look at, you know, how business models are done and business plans. And I did some studying of business models myself because I studied entrepreneurship and marketing and everything so uh, I'm curious about something you know as we've as you've taken a look at um at certain business models what do you and as you've you know gotten familiar with them and even done your own business, what would you say how would you analyze a possible shortcoming in a business model or plan that's marketed as a competitive advantage or something you know we have that our competitors don't have what's a potential shortcoming from that
1: a shortcoming so sorry if i could clarify do you, do you mean like a challenge
0: um yeah like it's, it's something that could possibly like come back to bite the company when they um are saying like when they're like you right now using it as as a competitive advantage
1: Yes. Well, oh, great question. <laughs> I actually, same thing with previous things. I've thought about this a lot. So you mentioned that I sell on Depop and for those who do not know what Depop is, it's basically a online platform, kind of like your eBay, um, but it sells focuses on clothing, accessories and just lifestyle items. So One thing that I am using as a competitive advantage that I'm a little fearful of essentially biting me in the future is using this platform. Because of the fact that this platform is already targeted towards a certain audience, my fear is that if I were to outgrow this platform and move to my own separate domain, that same crowd that I... Can reach from this app cannot follow me to a different area. By that I mean I don't know if you know what Nasty Gal is. This um, is a brand that blew up in the 2010s, and they started on eBay and then moved to their own domain, and then completely blew up, some hundreds of millions of sales in re- sales revenue a year, and then they actually failed a little bit, and then went bankrupt, and then sold themselves to Boohoo, a different online retailer. But when you look at their story, their growth was very organic until other external players stepped in and essentially ruined the flow of business. So I'm not saying that my business is on that scale yet. I would love to, (laughs) but it definitely is something I've thought about if I were to move platforms or essentially migrate away from Depop.
0: How about that? That is, that is really interesting right there. It's honestly, but when you're, when you're selling on Depop, does that ever like, does that thought ever just like, just linger so much to a point where you just like, uh, I gotta see if I can find some other like marketplace.
1: Yeah, truthfully. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not a Depop hater. I'm not a Depop lover, but I definitely am someone who can appreciate the help Depop has given me and the platform it's allowed me to sell on. But especially for top sellers or sellers who actually are getting consistent sales in the month, Depop does a lot more work for them. And it's not, a, it's not an unknown fact that most platforms are going to prefer their higher earners because the platform's gaining the most money from them. But when I do sell an item and I see the percentage rates being taken out to, obviously, the commission fee to give to this platform, I do think of, what if I were to move completely to, let's say, an Amazon storefront or an eBay storefront. Nevertheless, Poshmark or even um, Mercari. I have actually tried other platforms out, but I haven't found the most success compared to Depop. It's just the audience. The very specific audience that each platform caters towards that is what's keeping me with Depop.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Duly noted. So <laughs> so now on to the next question. So we're talking about um, Depop and your time with that so it leads me to this little point see I remember hearing from a friend a friend of mine about data points and for, for our audience put it simply think of data points as shares in the stock market every single one is small but it has value and putting them all together can reap great rewards especially in the long run so the value for data points is information knowledge so when you're gathering data points, Jessica, on your business, what you're selling, your what's you know, popular, what's current trends, what questions do you often ask yourself in order to reach your highest revenue?
1: The main question I always ask myself is do I want to sell to a fad or do I want to sell for a capsule item? So a capsule item could essentially be your most common basics. So let's say you have a t-shirt, a white tee. You can style it so many different ways. You can wear it so many different ways. And you have your fad items where that could be a micro micro trend that may honestly last about um, from anywhere from a week to maybe six to seven months. Six to seven months is stretching it a little bit, but you have your typical patterns that fall into micro trends such as um do you remember when flared items not flared the fire print items were super popular about a, a year to two ago when everything had that red flame mm. i honestly would, yeah <laughs> i honestly would consider that a micro trend a fad so i always ask myself am i wanting to sell this item let's you know what, let me walk you through a scenario, right? Like, I I go sourcing. I see this stunning, this stunning, let's say, leather jacket, but when I flip to the back, it has a print that honestly would not go well with a lot of other, like, items It may not, like, your typical jeans, your, your typical, like, pants or skirt or whatever you choose to wear. But I, could, I would ask myself, do I want to sell this as a unique one-piece item or do I want to sell this as something that can be a staple in someone's wardrobe where they can wear multiple times? And that's where I think budgeting as well as seeing how much money you're making at certain points in selling really comes in, right? So that would be looking at where I get the most sales, what type of items I get the most sales from, and how much money I actually have to go in and invest into really unique pieces versus staple items that most people will actually want to purchase. But I also ask myself the same, like, another question that I like to ask myself is essentially if I were to buy this, can I find other sizes is how many people truly can fit into something versus how many people truly would be interested in something it's always I always have to ask myself before buying a certain item and sourcing it for my storefront just due to the fact that if you buy an item and it doesn't get sold it just becomes it just becomes a a waste item I don't I don't want to use that word waste but it, it there's no traction no one's wanting it and it's just sitting there
0: Oh, and it's just sitting there. Oh, man. Yeah, it kind of makes me sad, honestly, because when something's... Let's say something like a certain trend, certain style was like something you enjoyed and doesn't sell as well and it gets discontinued, that's honestly, it would be... I always find stuff like that heartbreaking because that's how a lot, of, a lot of stores end up getting shut down. Like, do you remember when, like... You remember the time when like Radio Shack was like popular and everything, and everyone was going to that, and then we find out it's closed down or like Toys R Us and everything.
1: Yes. No, it's so bittersweet.
0: It's so bittersweet, but you know what? That just gets me thinking a lot of, as we get to talk, and I just getting to think of like the evolution in, you know, consumership, and how. Like certain companies that may have been popular, let's say 10 or 20 years ago, now are completely non existent now. So, Emma, what do you think businesses often like besides what you've um, talked about? What are some other things you think businesses often fail to do, you know, in order to stay alive while um, other businesses, newer businesses, will thrive? What do you think cause what mistakes they make that cause them to just? Completely, you know, die. Besides what you've told us,
1: Mm -hmm. I I think this kind of correlates to the soft skills I mentioned earlier, with just being able to stay open minded and adapt your business towards the ever so changing consumer attitudes. And I I think it's a little sad to think about, definitely, but. Every company has their own identity in some way. Every brand, storefront, Radio Shack, for example, Toys R Us—they had their special, like, specialized goods that they would sell for customers. But one thing that I find brands that are able to continue to thrive during changes is when they're able to pick up on carrying an item that people are wanting to have example could be Toys R Us realized, you know, gaming consoles became popular. So they started to sell PlayStation and they started to carry Xboxes on top of just their typical toys. And obviously it can be argued that we're also slowly outgrowing different items, gaming consoles. were going to more smaller and smaller pieces. Right. But I, I think If a company, if a a leader is able to accept that perhaps what they originally went into the market for is getting outgrown, but still keep that same identity of what their company stands for, and then pick up on what customers are actually wanting to buy, that's how you truly thrive in this super competitive environment.
0: Yes, emphasis on super competitive. Emphasis on that. So... So... so, um, Yeah, Jessica, I've... Going aside from business for a second, I noticed that you also had volunteered at, um, I think it was called Atria uh, Senior Living. I did, yes. Okay, cool. So, how did, you know, being... Among senior citizens, how did assisting them and just how did volunteering in general sort of build you not just like as a business person, but just as an individual, period.
1: I love spending time with senior citizens. (laughs) Um, I honestly learn so much from people and. I guess a little bit of a controversial statement. I very much enjoy speaking to people who have, hold different perspectives than me just because it not only engages my brain a little bit, but it wants to just about how they work, how their brain thinks, and how my brain may think a certain way versus someone else's. But how it actually changed me as a person during my time volunteering there, it essentially has taught me that... People come from all different walks of life. Like some, some of the citizens, senior citizens that lived there, honestly, were wealthy, wealthy business owners, or just influential players in our local politi- politics. Or, rather, on the other end, could be someone who might have struggled a little bit during life and then picked themselves back up, or are still struggling. There were just so many different people, uh, walks of people that I've met, and. Has, have actually taught me that life is mean, not going to go your way. You expect it to, well, I wouldn't say I expect something to happen in my life, but I would say I have, a certain, I have a certain expectation of guidelines where I would like to be in life or, you know, what I would like to do and achieve in life. But even that may not ever come true. And something else may be something way better would come true instead. It has changed me a lot, especially because I volunteered during my high school years and then uh, all the way up until COVID. So it has, it was really during the formative years of my life that essentially guide me and make who I am. You know, it's those, it's those years when you're developing that really, really make the person.
0: Yeah, sorry. Thunderstorm is uh, happening where I am right now, and I am just currently flipping off this thunder right now because it is interrupting this wonderful conversation. Oh no! Yeah, don't don't worry, folks. Don't worry, folks. We I ain't letting nature bring us down right now. So we're gonna keep show must go on. So um, going a little um, for further let's just step away from business for a second we'll come back to that later i just want to hear a little bit more about um you jessica now you did say you enjoyed you know hiking and uh, kayaking was it yes 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 so you know you enjoy physical activities how have you um how have like you know physical activities been beneficial besides of course your physical health How have they been beneficial to let's say your mental or spiritual health
1: yes um i'll be- let's yeah let let me be super honest I started swimming when I was a little infant just because my allergies were really bad and the doctors recommended swimming to help ease allergies so ever since then I've always swam and I've never not swam so I would find myself growing up being let's say uh Angry? <laughs> I guess that's the best word. Like, if I was, if I were angry, then I would relieve it all during swimming. I would go right into the water and do laps, just huffing and puffing, doing my laps, and then finish, and then just be at peace again. But in more recent years, obviously, mental health has been a more talked-about subject, which I am so grateful for, spirituality mental health is just something I find very important in my day-to-day as well and I take nature and I I utilize this as honestly my main reason as to why I'm able to accept where I am mentally versus how I'm feeling and how I want to feel if that makes sense so an example could be I wake up in the morning Austin has beautiful trails I drive to a nearby hiking trail and then hey, walk until I'm tired maybe walk until like noon I'm hungry and I turn around so it's a good six to seven miles of just walking I don't listen to music I'm just walking um, I just let my thoughts run free I think it's those times where my brain has really found peace with nature, but also allow myself to be sad or allow myself to be upset over small things that may have typically ruined my whole day. I I also believe that I don't I don't, I'm not necessarily religious, but I I do have spirituality. I definitely do believe in a higher power or the universe. Just something, something is happening. And I don't necessarily want to utilize, um, I guess the best way to say that is I don't necessarily want spirituality or religion to run my full day or run how exactly I want to feel but at occasions it has allowed me to confirm that it's okay to feel a certain way as well as confirm that if I didn't want to behave like this I was okay I didn't have to behave this way by that I mean if let's say I'm in a you know in a dump I'm in a I'm in a little bit of an, an emotional state someone talks to me and I get a little sensitive And obviously I would apologize and tell them I'm sorry for speaking to you like this, or I'm sorry for exploding or being a certain way. Spirituality as well as just nature experiencing physical activities has helped ground me to a way where I no longer am behaving a certain way to other people.
0: Yeah, that's, that's beautiful, honestly. And, Honestly, I got to check out these trails in Austin now because I I do enjoy jogging and I enjoy going for walks and I enjoy biking. So that sounds like so much fun, honestly.
1: It is. It's awesome.
0: Yes. Do you, um, by any chance, just sidetracking a bit, do you, by any chance, partake in any, you know, um, I forgot if you mentioned this, any like runners clubs or like um, hiking clubs or anything?
1: Oh, I actually don't, but um, I go hiking a lot with my friends. But so we do have a little group there where we I take turns hiking with different people and just talk.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because um, I'm from um, Long Beach, but I often hang out in Los Angeles a lot and down in Los Angeles. Shout out to Walk Good LA. I've been going down Wilshire Boulevard to. Uh, run with them' it's fantastic um running group, so it's often, it just kind of just brings a lot more joy and a lot more life to you know physical activities when you're doing with other people wouldn't you agree?
1: yes, I definitely would agree I also have, I need to check out some running clubs I struggle with running a little, but I think if I were to do it with a group it might it might help a lot
0: yeah 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 absolutely so now let's talk about Now let's head back to business for a second. So when being amongst other people and when, you know, volunteering and, you know, having, like, your own, like, little social groups, has that at all built uh, another um, certain um, skills in business? Like, let's say, negotiation or brought you any ideas on marketing?
1: Yeah, well... Right now, what I do at Uber is related to negotiations, so I've been able to pick up a lot of skills there. But outside of the org, in my personal life, within friends, families, I've been able to learn a lot about what they value in a product and what they value in a company, such as you know what a company stands for essentially right like you never want to support the company that is standing for something you don't find ethical or you don't find aligns to your moral compass so my conversations with my social groups or friends family colleagues have really taught me what an ethical business composes of and that's essentially having your resources that employees are able to utilize, having adhering to labor law and adhering to your local laws that, I guess, don't violate any antitrust or any human rights issues. And I, I think especially in the fashion universe, I'm trying very lightly here, <laughs> but especially in the, the fashion universe, fast fashion is something that, a lot of people don't find ethical and moral and I, I truthfully I don't either. It's not only harmful to the environment, it also harms labor laws, humans. The impacts are going to last for centuries. And I've learned a lot about this just from communicating with people in my in my influence, in my scope, people I can outreach to. And it's helped me especially When I'm selling clothing as well, realize that if I'm sourcing a piece of item, I cannot go in an unethical way. And if that means the item may be priced a little bit higher, then so be it. I'm not wanting to impact the earth negatively in that form of way.
0: So let's just um, take it back to... Uh, Another question I had. So, Jessica, we both know in business, you know, businesses often succeed and they fail or businesses fail before they succeed. So, in your experience, what was, you say, a failure that you were able to learn a lot from? Right.
1: So, along with selling clothes, I also... I am a seller of music albums from Korea, Japan, China. And these are people called group order managers. And I've ran a couple of group orders. I received um, up to 100 to 200 albums a day during a week. And I'm not the most careful person. And during this time, I found myself essentially packaging and sending orders out to people incorrectly and that really harmed my reputation and the way I was doing business and getting all this back and having to cover all the fees was a huge setback and I stopped doing group orders for about two to three months just to sort everything out and make sure people who ordered the right things were obviously getting the right items. I now am doing a lot better. I don't run group orders as much as before just because I've realized handling being able to sort all of this takes a lot of time out of my day and obviously I've realized and learned through this failure that it may not be the right venture for me. It may not be the right task that I can handle and on top of that just being able to do it all by yourself yourself is Challenging self, a challenging task on its own.
0: Yes, yes, it is. Doing things on your own is a challenging, challenging work right here. And, but really, it always often does start with you. Unless you have a, but even if you have a partner, you you might have been the one with the idea. So, that's where it all starts with.
1: Right. And I I really think business doesn't succeed by yourself and even if like in the eyes of the partner right when you're working with someone they may feel inclined to take credit for certain things but ultimately you worked together you worked collaboratively at both sides or all sides included valuable knowledge that got the business to where it is
0: that is so true so true so you know jessica um, second and last question. So while you study, you know the markets in the states, you know, and especially around in Austin, have you had a chance to take a look at the? Um, well, of course, what you're selling to Korea, Japan, China, had a good chance to take a real good study at you know international markets, especially like around Korea, Japan, China, or maybe even you know European countries like you know the UK and uh, France and. If you were able to um, get a look at those um, international markets, uh, what were they like?
1: Mm-hmm. I actually have a map um, that I used to keep back in my parents' home with places that I sold to, starting with the states. I would pin it every time I sold towards a state. And then my first international sale was actually to Australia. So then I put that, I bought a new world map and then put Australia there. I've been able to reach... Uh, Asia, some European countries, mostly the US, North America, South America, as well as, I guess, Australia, like mentioned. So when I'm looking at these international markets, honestly, the most thing that I find common are the micro trends. So this kind of falls back towards when I'm sourcing and seeing, okay, I found this item that is popular worldwide. Should I Put it on my store. Should I buy it? Should I do it? And it's always this risk that I'm thinking of, um, and just really letting my brain pop. Should I do this for the international market, or should I stick with just the U.S. And I would say in the past two years during COVID, I have only stuck to just the U.S. I I shut down my international shipping and didn't even think about shipping worldwide and up until now i still haven't reopened that spot that aspect of my business just yet but i watched my mom who's also selling her own products ship worldwide and i'm learning from her and seeing how she's able to pick up on other international trends and perhaps even the cultural lingo that requires to appropriately communicate Respectfully, of course, to people of different cultures, different countries, and I and I definitely do want to go ahead and look more detailly and look more into seeing what those markets have in store for me.
0: I see, I see. That's interesting. So you just decided, you know, let's just uh, stick to the states. This this works better for me, domestic
1: yes i I don't know i that's what I feel, <laughs>
0: okay, okay, you know what whatever works for you, Jessica, whatever works, so looking at all of this, putting all these things together, you know, just looking at your journey in terms of achievements and goals, what is something you've learned that you are most grateful for? Something I learned that
1: I'm most grateful for. I always live by this motto, which is... I don't know if that's how you say the word. Motto? Motto? Um, But basically, doing something today that my future self will thank me for. And that honestly correlates down to like physical activities, hiking, biking, swimming. But also down to the fact of applying to this job or um, just saying, screw it, I'm going to buy this and list it on my platform. Doing something now... avoid future regret and out of all the emotions that exist my least favorite is regret i feel like living with guilt of not doing something or saying something causes me at least to almost age backwards Eh grow backwards, right? Almost kind of fall back into old patterns and not motivating myself. It doesn't feel like I'm making progress. So one thing I honestly love telling people and advising other people is to ask yourself, first of all, if you were to do this right now, how would you feel right most of the time it's a it's a good feeling like you feel relieved that's always what it will feel like the second also if you weren't to do if you were not if you won't if you won't do this will you feel regret and if it's yes then just do it
0: just do it just like nike would say just do it (laughs) all right All right, ladies and gentlemen, so that is it for episode nine of the upcoming. Stay tuned for our 10th episode, and you can check this one out uh, this Sunday at uh, um, Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And I just want to give a huge thank you to our guest, Jessica Lee. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this, Jessica.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Jonathan. I really had a great time chatting.
0: All right, that's what I love to hear. So, folks, like I said, this is Episode 9. It was coming this Sunday at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And be sure for next week, Episode 10, our 10th episode. I am so excited for this one. So, yeah, that's it for this episode of The Upcoming. And uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at podcast. Uh, we continuously promote episodes of the show. And, yeah, just be sure to tune in next week for Episode 10. That's all for today. Uh, see you next week. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the upcoming. If you like this, please sure to follow us on Spotify for more amazing content. The best is yet to come. Take care, everybody.